0: podcast. This is the Gaslit Woman's Guide to Conquering the Corporate World. We are two sisters armed with facts and statistics. We're destigmatizing the plight of the working woman. And actually, it's just the working person. Have you been marginalized in the environment of the corporate world? Because I know I have. And my name's Lisa. And
1: my name's Jennifer, <laughs> and so have I.
0: Two thumbs up. Finger yep. Finger guns. <laughs> Pew, 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 pew. pew. Okay. All right, so this is like the third one. The third installment. But do we have any, like, tis? Do we have any news or
1: housekeeping that we wanted to chat about first?
0: What, just like being angry about the general state of the world? (laughs) The general state of existing as a woman in this fucking world that expects you to go along with the fairy tale that isn't really a fairy tale after all it's a fucking waking nightmare that's my news
1: I think yeah so just a I think that I think that one of the things that I felt while listening to our other two episodes so this is episode three of the reckoning or part three of the reckoning get a job your way
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I think that you can really boil down a lot of this into obviously like there's the job search part but a lot of this is about setting boundaries and not, and I think that as women and as marginalized communities, we're taught to like, make sure everyone's happy. Don't set those boundaries, do what you can, your loyalty is expected. And I think that that's a really interesting thing to to kind of think through as we kind of get towards the end of the interview and job search especially yeah. with like negotiating for a salary demanding the not demanding but like well yes what's wrong what you with demanding need. no and that's <laughs> the thing right like you tried like how dare you we're so properly programmed that we um so
0: programmed
1: that we don't want to demand that we're afraid to demand what we want and that I you know this is a, this is kind of a hard left but it makes sense So I was reading an article about the Hunger Games and how Jennifer Lawrence, when she got the part of Katniss, she was told she needed to lose 10 pounds. And so... She said, her response was, I'm gonna, I'm gonna misquote, but the general essence will be there. Basically, she said, we decided that I wasn't going to lose 10 pounds and that we were really going to fight for making sure that like a healthy body image was um, portrayed and that we wanted Katniss to be strong and powerful and not thin. But first of all,
0: Katniss is fucking thin. thin.
1: So there's that. But also, you know, I think that it kind of speaks to some of the um, privilege that we've, that you and I have spoken about at length on many of the different episodes. And I think I called you out on, on part one, but I think that it might not be privilege. It just, first, okay. So yeah, this is meandering and funky, but hold on. Most actresses that get a part in a major film if they say lose 10 pounds, you lose 10 pounds or else you lose that part. Yeah. So there's a privilege there to a lot of like stars that say, well, I really wanted to fight for this and I'm not going to adhere to that image. And, you know, you've got um incredible superstars like Lizzo who, or um, Ashley Graham, who are not succumbing to kind of their requested body image of what's expected of them. Yeah. But there's a privilege in not being able to do that. And do you think, Lisa, mm. do you think that it's privileged that they're able to make a stand on these things or do you think that they made a stand and they cleared a path for themselves? <sighs>
0: Oh, I just think existing outside of the norm in any way as a woman is a rebellious act and a brave act. So I think, in the one hand, in order to to threaten to turn down roles, especially a role like the size of Hunger Games or any of the things that Ashley Graham, who um is a consider is considered a plus size model, but is actually I believe the average size of a U.S. woman, (laughs) so that's kind of a misnomer. Mm -hmm. And then Lizzo, who's who's amazing and has a larger body and constantly gets slated for not being healthy and yet she's like on a vegan diet and exercises like a crazy person every day. Well and her performances are like crazy. insanity. Well yeah, yeah so she has mm-hmm. to exercise every day just to be able to do those performances. So mm-hmm. I mean she's she's breaking a lot of barriers down, I think around the conversation of fatness and unhealthiness and how they do not go together. And it's we've been allowed I mean we had a we had a whole episode on fat phobia, which I think I would really urge everybody to listen to if they haven't listened to it because there was a lot that we talked through that Jenny and I were learning about and that Jenny and I were trying to break down especially fat phobia in the workplace which has literally literally no legal protection again people have no le- legal protection against but I digress mm. what I would say is first of all thank you for asking my opinion and second is mm-hmm. that <laughs> um is that yes I think in one hand I think there's a duality. I, I think, yes, things can be two things. It can be privileged to be able to say, I will not take this part on unless you accept this requirement that I'm putting out there. That is a privilege to be able to say that. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, particularly in Hollywood, we know the trope of there's a million other girls that will do, do this role. Could they have yeah. done it as well as Jennifer Lawson Hewitt? What's her last name? Jennifer Garner. <laughs> What's her name? <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer Lawrence, as Jennifer Lawrence could have done, probably not. Jennifer Lawson, Lawson Hewitt. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of all the Jennifers I know. Yeah,
1: Jennifer jennifer Love
0: Hewitt, Jennifer Love Hewitt, and Jennifer. I think there's yep. Jennifer anyway. And jennifer Garner, anyway. And so that, that's a privilege, right? But then there's also that thing of if you don't stand up for something, then it just keeps happening. And I guess the only way that if someone who is of like an up and coming celebrity status says, I will not take this on. You need every other woman who then tries to get the role to say exactly the same thing. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work. It falls down somewhere because someone is so desperate for that role. And I mean, this harkens back to that thing we talked about with women in positions of desperation. You know, we find ourselves in those positions a lot. Why is that? So I'm just trying to understand what the imbalance of power is that allows that to happen.
1: Boundaries. We don't have
0: boundaries as a woman, as a
1: young girl, as like a marginalized population. Patriarchy. We're told we take what we get.
0: Be happy. You know, be, be thankful for what you get.
1: You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. You get what you get and you don't get upset. That's why, you know, my young children are learning that at, you know, learned that at preschool and, you know, in the system of Rockefeller who just wants workers and not thinkers. Yeah. So you just take it. So.
0: That's why I call um, you my, my little Rockefeller, Jenny. I know. Yeah. Call me that. Lil. Lil Sebastian. Lil. Lil (laughs) Lil Lil Rockefeller.
1: L A L. Will.
0: I think that
1: as we wrap up the job search conversation, I think that there's something there about like our conditioning. And I recently, just a couple days ago, finally had the conversation about the salary with the new job opportunity and tried to punt it back over the line because I was asked, like, what's the range that you're looking for? And I said, well, when you wrote your budget, what was the range you accommodated for?
0: Yeah.
1: And my potential former, my potential future manager said, well, I have a lot of room. So I asked for something on the higher, the higher side of what I'm hoping for. And he told me it was in range. And then there's also kind of a relocation aspect to it. And he said, would you be okay with that with the relocation to like a larger metropolitan area. And I was like, absolutely not. Like if if that happens, then we're gonna have to have a salary renegotiation. And I feel like just having this conversation and realizing that like, first of all, it's actually part of the higher you kind of get, but also, Just at any role. So don't get gaslit into what I just, (laughs) into believing what I just said. It's not about how high your role is. Like you are always able to negotiate that salary. And I've taken jobs where I've taken a pay cut, an hourly pay cut, and I was treated.
0: Junior. Of course you were.
1: Way more junior because that was the role and the salary I took. Now I've tried, as I said before, in the last episode, I have tried to negotiate salary before and I really felt, I really was kind of like squeamish and wormy about it because I was afraid to take control of that situation. But then I regretted it always because I knew that the range was higher than I expected. And then they were able, the hiring manager or HR was able to make false promises to me.
0: Yeah,
1: And, you know, I think we kind of brushed over this before, but if you get hired and you ask for a higher salary, And they say, no, in six months, you're going to have a review or we're going to try to promote you real quick. That's not real.
0: No. And that's totally at their discretion.
1: mm -hmm. And then you've got this kind of like pie in the sky or this like very amorphous blob of a plan for your future. And I think there's nothing wrong, especially in the corporate structure where they are HR and your hiring manager are charged in healthy corporations, side note, are charged with making sure that you have a career plan, that there is a path for the people that they hire. Yeah. And you'll see it in the handbook if you ever take the time to read the handbook.
0: You should always read the handbook, by the way. I know it's boring, but please read it.
1: I just feel like it it is important to take the time to ask the questions, as uncomfortable as they are. Yeah. Because it sets you up in the long run, and and it is you demanding respect and i think that for women and other folks in the marginal in marginalized groups we don't often start out in a position of power we are taught that we are supposed to be so thankful and bowing and scraping and loyal that we just take what we get and we don't get upset yeah and that does not set you up for success
0: it doesn't and one thing that you said jenny that just kind of piqued my interest is that is that discussion discussion topics that are uncomfortable that bring up feelings of discomfort in you, those yeah. are really important questions. Those are really important conversations. Yeah. If it's resonating in you and it's saying, this makes me uncomfortable to talk about, then it's something that's important because it matters to you. It matters to yeah. you because you fear the outcome. The outcome needs to be right for you. There is nothing wrong with protecting yourself and protecting your interests, but it yeah. does mean that you need to have the hard conversations. Yeah.
1: And if you notice red flags, Like, really, you have to bring those up. Like, I'm noticing with my, I'm going to be very, like, I'm going to be very transparent here. And I'm noticing that with this situation that I am interviewing for, Saturday and Sunday are work days, too. It's a seven-day work week. Mm. It's an early morning to late night work week. And I am potentially taking on this role at the beginning of summer with young kids that I want to spend time with because they're never going to be this young again. I'm going to give up my freedom for a larger paycheck. But is it worth it? And my thought is that we are in a financial place that we need an infusion of income for Lisa and I to do what we want to do with the book, to do what we want to do with our company as we continue to build it. So it's kind of one of those things where I feel like I have to do it. But I'm I'm almost thinking I might need to build in like a three-month check-in to where I can walk away with no hard feelings. And that's part of the conversation I think I'm going to have because I'm feeling Already, like, this is not going to have a long-term... This is not going to be sustainable long-term.
0: And you know what? That gut feeling, Jenny, that's so important. And it's something mm-hmm. that we get so disassociated from, you know, gut feelings. It's not based on anything. It is. It's based on the part of you that you ignore a lot of the time. We live very yeah. much in our brains, in our heads. We're very cerebral. We're not often in our bodies. When you are in your body yeah. and it's giving you signs, that sick feeling, that anxiety, that potential mm-hmm, stress, mm-hmm. whatever that is... That's a sign and that's important.
1: I feel like in the way that the media portrays, you know, you know, love stories and romance and like Devil Wears Prada or Julie and Julia, like it always works out in the end. They stuck to it. And I listen, I know that those are very hetero white centric movies that I have brought up, but that's. Unfortunately for right now, I think it's changing, but right now those are mainstream and that is like, but that's, you know, Lifetime movies, all of this is very hetero and white and like, I understand that. But this is the trope that we are force fed from the time we're young of yeah. like, this is how the world works. There's always a happy ending as long as you do what's expected of you. But I think that that enables women and marginalized groups to Accept believe situations. in this fairy tale, yeah. yeah, and expect for it to change. And that's not how it goes. Yeah. It's not how it goes. You have to fight for what you want. And I'm not saying this in a girl, wash your face, lean in type of situation. I'm not oh. saying ignore... I'm not saying ignore your feelings, ignore yeah. your reality to push through and become this like pseudo white male executive. I'm not, yeah. that's because <laughs> I feel like, you know, this girl boss like yeah. you, you just, you just power through, girl. you you need to get up earlier. You need to stay up later. You need lean to make more in. lists. You need lean to do in. lean in. You need to work out more. You need to be eating less. You need to not be taking, you know, you need, need to not be taking antidepressants because you're strong enough to figure this out in your head. And those are some of the dangerous lessons that are harped on in those books. Yeah. And there's so many more, there's so many more, but I feel comfortable calling out those two. And I don't s- subscribe to the the mindset that are sold in those because they're not realistic. They're not combating the crux of the issues that we have with the patriarchy being a foundation that is not sustainable for women in marginalized groups.
0: Oh, preach, sister. And also hustle culture as well. Good God. Yeah, the
1: hustle culture, like, and you know, so then you see girl rest take your take a nap blah blah, blah. but then they, they, you know we've put we've posted stuff like that because we're fucking tired yeah and people say well that's just not that's just not a reality
0: but the thing is hustle culture shouldn't be you, a reality either to be fair you're just grinding your life way, down to nothing yeah it's exhausting jenny it's exhausting, it's exhausting having exhausting. a full time job and if you have children to have children and then to try and do a side hustle at the same time. There literally are not the hours. If you have children, you effectively have two and a half full time jobs.
1: Explain that one to me, because I you've said it a few times. Yeah. So it's is that in that addition?
0: That's that's just having children.
1: Welch's grape juice.
0: Welch's grape juice, yeah. They could be just okay. uh women with children have in excess of a ninety hour work week. Um just so, just children. That's not that's that's Domestic, that's care responsibilities, that's that's running a home and, and having children if you choose to have that. So
1: 90-hour work week, that's just the caregiving. 90
0: plus, that's just the caregiving and the domestic duties.
1: And then on top of your 40, if you're lucky, hour work week.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's additional. So it's two and two and a half jobs if you, as people like to say, don't work, right? If you stay home with the kids and you don't work. Uh-huh. And then on top of that, you layer... If you choose to also work outside the home, you layer the hours that you then have there on top.
1: Okay. So we've got a 40-hour work week and a 90-hour childcare work week.
0: And domestic duties. Yep, 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 yep.
1: So that's 90 plus 40, which is 130. Really. But your week is only comprised of 168 hours. Yeah, but so you, you, you have... definitely need
0: to sleep for like f- at least five hours a week. Hold at on. At least. So-
1: <laughs> So that gives you time for five and a half, five point four 5.4 hours of sleep a night.
0: Yeah, I don't usually get that. And I don't think you do either.
1: Oh, God, no. So it's completely unsustainable.
0: So add on top of that, Jenny, your side hustle, right? Because yeah, so that's another... girl, wash so your now face. We've... Girl, so now wash let... your face. Take care girl. of your family. Girl. Girl. Girl, which is super demeaning. And we don't say that to anybody else unless we know each other. Like girl. I know Jenny, so I call her girl because she she's my girl. So we've got people touting this hustle side hustle culture like you want to get up you want to make your life kim kardashian tells you that you don't want to work get up and stop being so lazy yeah we're not lazy honey we're oh not lazy. goodness gracious
1: <laughs> so actually that's the you know that podcast i told you about hysteria oh no Did they, they talked go? about Did they go? oh my gosh let me just tell you what the po- what the podcast episode was called it's so they're so good and so funny so they sassy. talked about her they called her they called their episode kardashian university
0: oh my gosh i love it
1: (laughs) and they talked about it with some really neat smart women so i would that is um that's not their most recent episode that's two weeks ago but anyway that's a great one to listen to but so as we enter the negotiation and as we enter like you making sure that like so you've done the interview you sent your thank you note, you've done your panel interviews you've done your we haven't even talked about panel interviews
0: well have you done those Where you sit in front of a bunch of people and they just try to wear you down.
1: So the thing that and expose all your
0: flaws and make themselves well, look smart. We,
1: we got to see a very toxic <laughs> panel interview, right? In real time. Uh, yeah. With Kitonji Brown Jackson. Yeah. And so I've been on those interviews before and I've really, the thing that kind of has helped me like stay kind of calm and strong throughout is A, being super prepared and kind of understanding that a lot of the people that are in, like understanding if you are lucky enough to get a list of the people that are attending, know, kind of knowing their background a little bit. So I yeah. check up on each of the folks on LinkedIn And that way, if you understand their role and kind of their background, you can can kind of understand their line of questioning and what it is they're trying to uncover. But also really, like if you connect with someone or you feel comfortable talking to someone, you can interview right to that person and look around the room every once in a while. But if there's someone who is like nodding their head and like being very supportive, like there's nothing wrong with you staring at that person rather than the person who's like flipping through their phone or being rude or just like being dismissive of you. Yeah, if, there, if that if that happens, I
0: I would just say in those interview situations as well, if it's a multiple person interview, just be aware that everyone has their own, they have their own agenda, mm-hmm. and it doesn't say anything about you if someone acts like they're disinterested or if someone tries to tear you apart, which. Some people do go into an interview and they really want to put their head on your head. Um, They really want to be the top dog in the room. And that says so, so, Mm -hmm. so, so much about them. But that is really deeply confusing and it's very it can be a really oh it can just be a soul-destroying experience
1: absolutely i I actually have a good oh sorry go ahead
0: no i I was just gonna say jenny i don't know if you remember remember i had that disastrous interview god this was a really long time ago maybe eight years ago
1: the one where was it? the one where there's pizza on your shirt (laughs) No
0: That was for sure a bad one. And it was not pizza. It was a a stain. Do you remember I went and did an interview and they told me it was going to be one thing and I showed up and they asked me to do like three timed tasks. Mm. And I walked out so heartbroken, feeling like such a failure, feeling like I, like my imposter syndrome obviously had gone through the roof. Like who was I to even like, they treated me so callously and so like, they set me up for a fail basically. They asked me to do things um that actually were so well above my the sort of roles and responsibilities of the the position I was going for it was pretty insane well that company just went out of business they went into administration in the last week or 2 weeks ago. And obviously their business model was flawed regardless, but I felt really kind of not vindicated in that moment because you never want people to fail in a business venture, but they Oh yeah, I do. They, I do. they had they had a really flawed business model in a lot mm. of different ways and one of the ways that they were the most flawed was treating their as treating their staff in a really hard paying them really really well, paying them over and above what what the going rate was, but treating them Like they were less than and, you know, expecting seven day work weeks and things Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm, just aren't, mm -hmm. they're not maintainable long term. So, I mean, it took me a really long time to get past it, but I'm past it, well past it now. And now I feel like that was a a missed opportunity that that was really like a blessing in the long run. Mm. So just know if it doesn't go well, that's... (laughs) <laughs> you've missed it. You've probably can, dodged a bullet. <laughs>
1: can I drill down really quick and get specifics from you? Like what was the role you were interviewing for?
0: I think I was interviewing for either a construction manager role or a project manager role. It was a while back. And okay. And
1: what were the, what were the timed tasks?
0: So I had to build, so they're called the Gantt charts, but they're programs basically that you have to build. Um, and they were, gave me a list of duties. It was two sheets Mm. worth of activities, two full sheets. And they gave me 45 minutes to build a Gantt Mm. chart, which also it it basically worked on two different calendars. So a normal work week calendar, and then you had to build a out of hours calendar. Mm -hmm. And to do that work, to link it all, to make sure that all the tasks are, when the tasks are linked, it kind of makes them all schedulable, and they can kind of be moved back and forth on a timeline. To have two calendars working in junction, like if you work as a planner and you do that every day, you probably could have built that in, I don't know, an hour, an hour and a half. But I was given 45 minutes. I was clearly not a planner and that was not the role I was interviewing for. So I didn't do it in time. I got like halfway but through also, it and I just, I'm, I ran out of time. But I've but ne- also,
1: don't you need, like there probably were conversations, like when you build a Gantt chart, you have conversations with the stakeholders about like the prioritization of...
0: They just, they've listed everything out for the activity. So it was like, this is an activity and then that, that activity needs to go on. So you had to like shape it, put it into place. And then in a construction program, it's a little bit different because as a construction manager, as a project manager, you're deemed to have enough knowledge to know how to place those activities. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. you need to go back to your subcontractors and say, like, I've given it eight weeks. For this element of work, would you say eight weeks is appropriate? And they'll usually go, oh, yeah, no, eight weeks is fine. But sometimes they'll say, no, we probably, for this element, because of the manufacturing lead times, things like that, we need 12 weeks. And that's because Mm -hmm. it's specific to an item or, you know, something like that. So you Mm -hmm. you do get feedback that way. But in general, when you're doing, like, a proposed or a draft construction program, you'll, you'll start that bad boy yourself. So I mean, a Gantt chart don't.
1: for people that aren't in project management, because I'm pretty familiar with them as well because we use them in tech, But yeah. um, which is actually funny because I have to build a Gantt today for my interview. Yeah. Which is fine. I like a Gantt. I'm a, a chart dork. But um, so a Gantt chart is
0: – It's a bar it chart, was, basically.
1: It's a bar chart, but it – shows kind of like the timeline but then also the inter- interdependencies on tasks like yeah. some tasks can't start before others are finished yeah and it's just making sure that you understand the interdependencies like between all the different like working parts of the project Absolutely. and it was something that was designed somewhere between 1910 and 1915 by henry gantt
0: why is it so, always anyway. named after him hate him
1: henry gantt does yes. he have other things is there a is there a henry Tart as well <laughs>
0: Come to Gantland, <laughs> Henry Gant welcomes you <laughs> to Gantland,
1: Ganty. So, um, okay. And then what else? What other tasks? Because that that's honestly so exhausting.
0: Oh, I hate Gantt. I hate building Gantt charts. If they're um, exhausting to me. Uh, what else did mm-hmm. I have to do? I had to do a document in InDesign, like a bid document, which is fine. I could build that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That didn't, I don't think that one looked too bad. And then the, I can't remember what the other thing was. I want to say it was something to do with construction management, so probably like uh, risk assessment method statement review or something like that, I'm not sure. But to be fair, like if you if you asked any, the majority of the men that I work with in my career would never have been able to walk into that room and do a Gantt chart, an InDesign document as like a bid document for a tender. And also do their RAMS, which is the risk assessment method statement. They would never be able to do all three. So also, I was set up to under do a an time imp-
1: crunch.
0: Under yeah. a time crunch, I was set up to do an impossible. And even as I was doing it, I felt like when they asked, they said, I had the interview, it went really well. And they're like, okay, well, this has gone really well. I just like, can you show us like a couple of your skills? I'm like, well, yeah, what did you want to see? And they're like, we've got three tasks that we need you to do. We need you to do this, this, and this. And I wanted to be like, first of all, no one told me that this is what it was going to be. No one warned me. This feels like a ambush. And the more I sat there and got stressed and was sweating and working on that fucking Gantt chart and doing the bid document and doing it like and feeling like a failure, I wanted to be like, do you know what? Fuck this and fuck you guys. But I didn't. I just sat there and did my best and walked out and felt shit for months. Now, did you
1: get any feedback afterwards or no?
0: Well, I called the recruiter when I walked out and I said I got completely ambushed. They told me all these things that I needed to do. They did they tell you they were gonna ask me to do this? No, he said they never told me they were gonna do that. And I said, Well, I got stuck in there. That was the most stressful experience in my life, and I really didn't appreciate it. And... I told him it didn't go well for me and even if they offered me the job I don't think I'd want it and then he was like oh I'm gonna call them this isn't right and all that stuff and he called me back I was like yeah they're not gonna offer you the job and I was like honestly I wouldn't want to work for them anyway that was an awful experience and I could just imagine you can see the path can't you can see it coming up at you like that's what your every day yeah. would be someone stands over you and demands that you do these tasks and you go shit you know I can do three of them but I can't do all four or I can't do yeah. all five and so you're not gonna be proud of the three that you can do you're gonna be totally stressed and destroyed about the that you can't quite finish. And that's what, and that's what they, that's what they'd be holding over your head. So
1: you're saying that other folks that you've worked with in the similar roles as you
0: could never do that. No, 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 no. no. So
1: then what, so if it's, if it's not, I mean, maybe it wasn't an impossible task, but it was a challenging task. So me with my management brain on says like, do you just want to see that someone will make it happen under the time? And like, be completely unshaken by it like what was the aim
0: I think they were a new company starting out and they were trying to get as many like heavy hitters in as possible people that can wear a bunch of different hats and work like dogs and and mm-hmm. respond to that kind of stress and exist in that stress mm-hmm. and that ain't me mm-hmm. I can wear a bunch mm-hmm. of different hats I love a hat but mm-hmm. but that level you li- of stress you literally never wear oh I do when I'm on holiday when I'm on vacation oh. I for sure wear hats I wear a big big holiday hat Yeah, I'm a big – I love it.
1: Okay. So if you were to enter in that situation Hmm. today –
0: I wouldn't, but yeah.
1: Because that actually sounds like – because when you have an interview and you're, like, working, you usually schedule – your give yourself, like, an hour for the interview and, like, a half an hour on either side for travel time, depending on where you are. Yep. So that – having a task that was 45 minutes in addition to the interview, and that's just one of the tasks. It just went on forever. That must have thrown your day into – yeah. A tizzy. Of course it did. What the fuck? I had to
0: get back to my real job.
1: Yeah. And you're probably worried the whole time you're going to get in trouble.
0: Yeah, of course. Or a phone out. call or uh-huh. something happened or, you know, whatever. I go for a mm-hmm, long mm-hmm, lunch mm-hmm. and it's not just a long lunch. Oh my God. It's like a half a day.
1: Yeah. So thank Memories. you for sharing that. It you're gives welcome. me a little bit of a stomachache just thinking about. Oh, um, yeah. I wanted to share. So I went into an interview with a, with a firm a design agency that I was, that I really wanted to work for when I was living in San Diego and they were one of the biggest dogs in town. And I I applied for everything for two or three years. And I finally got an interview with them for like a senior level position. And in the initial interview, I talked to these two women who were going to kind of be on my level or very nice conversation. And, but then one of the questions they said, why do you want to work here? And I said, you know, I've been following your firm for a long time I'm really interested in the work you do. And I really feel like in a smaller town like San Diego, like you're one of like the biggest players. And I kind of miss working for like a large, healthy corporation. And one of the girls goes, oh, you're a fangirl. And they like giggled about it. And I was like, oof. Oh. Um, but I still really wanted the job so then we like took the tour of the op- tour of the office tour we took the tour of the office and I mean I saw a lot of unmelanated male folks and so I kind of knew I, I knew that that's what it was going to be when I walked around and then I got moved on I had two other interviews like during that day meeting with other people and this they had told me in the morning like what account they were thinking of putting me on and so one of the men that I'd be working for as a part like working with as a partner on this project Jack came in and he said, What do you know about this client? And like he's fully immersed in the Kool-Aid of that client because that's his client and yeah. that's who he works with. Yeah. And I had just found out at that interview that morning yeah. who they were considering me for. And he started like rapid-firing, asking me questions about the client, and I didn't know much about them. And mm. I, rather than saying, Listen, I don't know. I just found out. I tried to answer them and I was like, I'm sorry. I don't know. And I felt like so. And after he asked to ask me those questions, he got up and walked out. Wow. And I had to keep interviewing with a partner of his on the thing, but he like made it very clear that I didn't know the information, so he got up and walked out. And I wow. took that on myself mm. for so long. So and even long. When I wrote him my thank you note. I said I've done some research on this client and I will become an expert on them as I do with all of my project clients when mm. I get the job. And he, like, wrote back something very condescending and rude. I took so many... There were so many microaggressions during that interview. And I took them all on myself as my fail... As me being a failure and me being just... And I was like, oh, yes, I am a fangirl. Like, I really want this job badly. When that's not the fucking case. And, like, there was so much... So, in retrospect, thank God I didn't get a job there. Because that's how they treat people. And, like, fuck you. Mm. But, like, I should have said something. I should have said something. And I should have said something in the follow-up to the women. And I should have, you know... I regret not saying something, but at the same time, like a lot of times, you know, pleading that case doesn't help much. But then, on the flip side of that, I did have an interview with a company I really thought I wanted to work for, and it was like a more junior position because I was trying to make kind of a career shift. And they, I made it through the interview. They said we would love to have you, and they sent me the the salary and like the commission structure. And it was like it was a sales job, which Mm -hmm. I should never be in sales anyway. And I wrote them back and I said, this is. This money is insulting and I am so sad for your current employees
0: Mm. that this
1: is what you pay the people that make you money. Because it was like just for the people that made them money and everyone else, they paid them less than minimum wage with no commission. Jesus. And they're the ones that make the money for the company. Anyway, all of this to say, Lisa and I have the luxury of hindsight in these stories. And like when you're entering into a job interview, when you're negotiating for that salary, when you're building, like making sure that like all of your demands are in place, these situations are uncomfortable and you're going to continue to have them as you interview for jobs, especially when you're in the corporate structure. But you deserve to say your piece You deserve to ask for what you want. And on certain things, like what Lisa said, like she could have said, you know, I can't do that today, but I can come back and do it. Yeah. Especially if something that they've asked you to do shakes you. I I think you're well within your rights to say, I'm not prepared for this today. But if you'd like me to continue this interview process, I can come back.
0: Yeah. And look, I was in a place of desperation when I went through that interview. I really wanted to change my job. I wasn't being appreciated or rewarded at the job that I was doing. And so I really wanted to level up and move up. And this job was an opportunity for that. And it was just such a shot in the guts to to have mm. such a bad experience and i felt the real sense of desperation but if i could say one thing to that version of myself, it would be that the desperation was so unwarranted. And I hope that that can kind of be just a message of for people who are like, I'm desperate, I need like, uh," I understand there is a privilege in not being desperate. But as we talked about that duality of being of things that they can be two things at once. Yes, there is a privilege in not having to feel desperate in the job search. But also there is a hopefulness that women should not have to be desperate in the corporate environment. And especially not when they're trying to better themselves and achieve success.
1: Do you feel like the your perspective has shifted so there's not that desperation? Like it's a perspective shift? I do think, you're... I think
0: part of it's a perspective shift. Like again, it's that duality. Like I've managed to get myself into a place where I've paid off debt and I've saved a bit more and I earn a bit more just because I've had more experience in the fields. And I have had to kind of claw and pull and get myself and move laterally and stay at a company for two years and then move to the next one because I can't get any sort of internal recognition. So I moved to a company where they appreciate me and are able to see me out outside of what they hired me at and that kind of thing. And with that brings a pay rise, but, but also it is that mindset of, you will not do this to me. You will not push me into this desperate position. I will not allow myself to be put in a desperate place, you know?
1: And, and also I think that that leads to something else. Like if you feel like they want you in that desperate place and they want oh, you yeah. small. Yeah.
0: Good point. That's then That's good.
1: a huge red flag because it's, because honestly, the job interview is the best it's going to get.
0: Yeah, it won't get any better. 100% it won't get know, any better. No, and the
1: negotiation is like when you have a voice. And once you enter that workforce, there's a lot of times when you no longer have a voice. Yeah, And you're expected to be appreciative of every teeny tiny merit increase if you're lucky enough to get one. But that's not going to get you to the right salary if you've entered in a space that's much lower than you deserve or you expect. Yep. That's not to say that you don't need to be looking on Glassdoor and understanding what that pay range is prior to entering that interview or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, for, you know, for some companies that's not going to be available. But doing that research and understanding geographically what that range of the salary should be. Yeah. Yeah. it's, It's better to go in having done that homework as well.
0: I agree.
1: So, so let's say that you get you get the offer letter, at and the salary is ten, twenty thousand less than you expected.
0: Well, I would have hoped that you would have talked a little bit about salary before. If you really, really haven't, you get it through, and it's much less. I mean, obviously, the first if you have had the conversation and the salary comes back, there's been a clear miscommunication somewhere, or there taking the piss, one of the two, but it ain't right. And you need to raise it. I would say that there are oftentimes when you get your contract packed through, man, you need to read that contract with a fine tooth cope. And I'm talking about everything that's the working hours they expect you to adhere to. And that is making sure that all of the elements that are expected of of you also the covenants that bind you should you leave work Mm -hmm. or should you should you leave that job there is a covenant in my last job where I was not technically supposed to work in the same industry for six months
1: okay so that's a non-compete over here yeah okay so Uh
0: with covenants like that it's really really important to make sure that you're looking at that and that you're aware of that and and the perfect time to talk about those things is in that negotiation phase you are not expected to get a contract pack through and just sign your life away that and is not expected do. of you. And most people do. And most have women to do. You read
1: every bit of what they send you. And, and highlight yeah. it and go through, redline yep. it like yep. a lawyer and like ask questions yep. about that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And you can neg- if they can't move on salary, you can negotiate vacation days. You yes. can negotiate bonus. Bonus, Yes. You can all of these things. Bonus like, within make sure a set period. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Make yeah, sure yeah, you yeah. get it in writing. Make sure that these conversations you have, like, make sure that they're, if you if you pick up the phone and have a, have a few questions, make sure that you send a follow-up email saying, we discussed this. This is what I understand. Is this correct? Yeah. Get everything in writing. Yeah. Because I had a job where they said, you've made it in just under the cut to get the bonus. And then when bonus time came, they said, oh, no, you haven't been here long enough. And when I brought it to my manager's positions he said well you should have signed your offer letter sooner <laughs> which is breaking the law but I didn't have I didn't have it in writing so I had no, no leg to stand on no. so
0: get it all written down. Do not feel awkward about going back. And honestly, I think if you can get to the, the mindset where you can walk away at any time that again, that's the most powerful position on a negotiating table. So like I got my, I got my contract packed through the salary is fine, but guess what? These working hours, we talked about flexible working hours and you're telling me that you want me at my desk from eight to six every day. No, we need to have a conversation about this again, because what you've promised me is not what you've put down on paper. Yeah. And so then so don't, then, sign, anything. So don't yeah. sign anything. So then you have an email trail that says, "Hey, I told you I needed this. Where what happened with that?" And then they go, "No, no, no, don't worry. That's just our standard contract. I understand that you have flexible working times. I will not hold you to that. You have it in writing." Your you, that mm-hmm. box is ticked. All those things. And always make sure that you're using an email address that you do not plan on losing access to anytime soon. Oh, because yeah, the, that's the, a big one. the last thing you want is to go searching back to try and substantiate things in the future and you can't get those emails. Mm -hmm. If you have an external hard drive, always save things down onto that as well, just in case you maybe don't have access to your own home computer and you use a public computer. Investing in an external hard drive or just having a bunch of USB sticks, that is going to be your best friend. Save it all down. Put it in a file. Make sure you know exactly what you said. Yeah.
1: But also you can, you can, uh, a thing I've done a lot of times is I've emailed myself self stuff to my like Google account. So if like you need Google drive is pretty darn big and yeah. uh, And you can set up additional email addresses if you run out of room on that Google drive, but, um, that's a free one and you, you won't lose it as long as you like don't lose your password. So as you accept your offer and you make sure that you are having all the fine print and all of that stuff, just make sure that if you start seeing red flags, if you start seeing things right away that are not in line with what you've agreed to that you are voicing that the longer you wait and the longer you stay silent hoping for things to change without a conversation the more in danger you are
0: yes so agree 100 um, percent.
1: so anyway happy job hunting <laughs> Woo-hoo, good and uh, if we left anything out or you want us to go into more detail on something that we didn't um, feel free to email us we've gotten some great feedback on our we say gay episode yes so we will be sharing stories there and uh, just letters that we've gotten and stories here pretty soon but also just if you have any feedback you can email us at patriarchypod at gmail.com that's patriarchypod at gmail.com follow us on our instagram facebook and tiktok at dear patriarchypod Twitter is patriarchy underscore pod. And as always, we appreciate you listening, liking, rating, subscribing. We have a whole bunch of new listeners, and we're so appreciative that you are here.
0: Thank Um, you. And we
1: we, um, are excited to keep the conversation going with you. So, as always, love, light, and good night.
0: Good night.